The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hi, folks. This is Thomas, and I'm sitting here speaking with Panu. It's June 2022, and Panu and I have been listening to an episode that we recorded in October of 2021 on covid the COVID epidemic, COVID-19 pandemic, and um, our thoughts about it as it was developing at that time. Um, since then, um, many things have happened in the world with, with the pandemic, as we all know, and with other areas that we've been talking about, like climate change. Um, Panu and his family have actually had COVID. Um, in that intervening time, I personally, um, and my fam and myself and my family also had COVID just actually a few weeks ago, finally caught up with us here in Portland, Oregon. Um, and, um, I'm healthy, but I'm still feeling a little bit of the after effects. So we thought we would revisit this episode now in hindsight and see how it feels to listen to it. And you all will shortly be able to listen to the episode yourself. Uh, but Panu, what was it like to l listen back to what we were thinking about in October of 2021? Yes, hello, all listeners. So much is going on in these times that it felt actually quite a long ago, even mm -hmm. though it's last October. Mm -hmm. And we recorded many episodes during that autumn, and then because of our two-week uh, scheduling of episodes we are only now getting at some of the last ones we did and on one hand we also wanted to wait and see where is this COVID-19 pandemic going and then of course we ended up having it ourselves as Thomas mentioned my family had it the second time and now I also personally got it I was four days completely out of business but because of vac vaccinations uh, nothing too too serious, but it took a quite a long time to to recover. And in Finland, right at the time that the prevalent wave of COVID nineteen had started to go down, then came the war in Ukraine. Mm. So the timing was very bad in that sense. Also, that people were struck by another global stressor or macro variant, which came very very close. So. When I was listening to the episode where we discuss many emotional disturbances arising from global stressors, uh, the, the, of course the war in Ukraine and this spring came very clearly into my mind and that reminded me forcefully of the overlapping crisis that we are living, living through. So it was very interesting to return to this episode, which is from nine mm -hmm. months ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It felt like a long time ago. And I think, I think listeners probably have the same sense. It's so many things have happened and um, the pandemic is still ongoing in some ways in, in a more chronic way. 
Um, and I, so I think this is a challenge. I think it's a challenge. Um, my uh, colleague that I um, listened to the episode with remarked that he had a hard time separating climate change and COVID because the two issues seem to be so similar. They're not maybe necessarily causally. Well, he actually believed they were causally related because um, deforestation drives partly climate change and deforestation drove partly COVID in the sense of, of really these, these, these new, these viruses coming out of, of, you know, places like these wet markets that, you know, are mixing, mixing of different species and animals and viruses that would have lived, you know, deep in, deep in the, in the forests or the woods are now being exposed to humans in this cross pollinating. So he saw a lot of overlaps between both the basic system of our planet and then also the responses of people to the problem, the denial, the science, the, the denigrating science, the reactionary nature, the individualist responses where people didn't want to get vaccinated and all this other stuff. So, I, you know, as we talked about in the episode, I think um, COVID is sort of like a climate change type phenomenon that was just accelerated. We saw a lot of these different factors. So it is really a learning it's a it's a hard learning experience. It's not a necessarily a positive learning experience about the world, um, because uh, it exposed so much, so many problems. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you on that. And uh, terrible intersectional injustices mm-hmm. also, both globally and and regionally. And mm-hmm. in the episode, we quite a lot discuss the dynamics of eco anxiety or climate anxiety as as compared with coronavirus anxiety or whatever we want to call it. And this came to my mind when listening to your colleagues' thoughts about the episode. And I mentioned that I wrote introductions to two books which discuss the COVID-19 crisis and the climate crisis. And now they are finally also starting to be published. That's sometimes frustrating, the slowness of academic publishing. But now in late August and in November, these two books should be out and we'll share info about that on our podcast website. Mm -hmm. One thing which is different is that because at least a strong wave of COVID-19 has now passed, there's a lot of people, including myself, I have to say, who would just like to forget about COVID-19 at least for a mm-hmm. long while and this psychological dynamic which is on one hand pretty universal there were some people writing about this at the onset of the COVID-19 crisis but now it's live this sort of very human desire to you know let's do something else for yeah while. which is which is human and so we want to honor that and when we get through a crisis we want to put it aside we want to we get fatigued and we want to set it aside, and so I think we want it. We want things to disappear. Um, so the focus with COVID was really people were overimmersed. We talked in the episode this idea of cyberchondria, where people are, are are doing a lot of you know online research about medical and health issues, and so there was such a such a strong anxiety reaction for many people with COVID, uh, particularly in the early stages of the of the pandemic when it was so mortally dangerous. And now, now there's there's a there's a you know a hope to kind of set aside and put and put it away. So it is really a developmental process because it isn't going away. Um, it's going to be a chronic a chronic thing in our in our societies. But in our story, we did come back to the basic coping of 
being aware of our news intake, finding our being in our home place, finding the news in our in our own community, around our family, and things like that, um, and also just recognizing all the hard work that we all have done with COVID, all the all the precautions, all the thinking, all the care, you know, for others. You know, we've we're surviving. Many of us are surviving, and we're working hard. And again, all the healthcare workers that have been working for for years now in the COVID area, all the researchers. So it's so easy just to focus on the on the downside, but and and not give ourselves, you know, uh, the support and the compliment and the gratitude and the gratefulness. Of, of all the people, even today, that are still working. And I have many clients that are medical professionals and, you know, that are still working and still in the emergency room, still still dealing with people. And even even trying to find some compassion for, for, for folks that, that, that really couldn't, couldn't um, get with the program in, in the sense of trying to support a societal-wide, science-based, you know, empirical approach to dealing with this pandemic. Um, so we do need to sort of recharge our batteries and, and have gratitude and, and be able to focus on our what's positive in our lives. Yeah, totally agree with that. And it would be good if we would have resources and motivation and energy to organize also some even festivals of gratitude for all the work that various people have done in this regard. Mm-hmm. And it would be great to have a sort of people's fest around, you know, surviving even though there were lots of lots of trouble and, and there may be waves again and so on. But that's very human to the need for gra- gratitude and remembering the goodness. And this is something that we uh, end up discussing at, at the later latest part of the episode that you will soon hear yeah so this episode re-listening to this episode is kind of a ritual it's a way to go back in time and to think about things and so i invite the listeners to to really um use it as a reflective exercise for yourself to think about how your life has changed and where 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 you are now and uh, you know honor some of your losses uh, i i would say here in in, in portland uh, soon uh, the um, chief, I was approached by the chief resilience officer for the city of Portland and the disaster response uh, team uh, here in the city is having a, what they call heat week and they're having some um, events to commemorate the heat dome that happened a year ago, the major heat wave. And I'm going to be speaking on a panel uh, around coping. But I really think it's such a great idea for them to have this, this memorial to, the, to, the, to this heat event uh, partly to for the first responders to really recognize all the work that they did, uh, and also to keep the public aware that these things happen. So it's 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 a it's an exercise, it's a ritual that I it's rare to see coming from a government. You know, I know last our last episode we talked about the Finnish to work in Finland, which is really really you know you know proactive. But so yes. Um, there is something about cycling back and having these rituals to think about our lives and think about what we've learned and that we're still here and we're still going forward. So I invite people to listen and let us know what you think about us bringing back older episodes. Uh, this is climatechangeandhappiness.com. Um, and thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the episode and we'll keep bringing them to you. Hello, I'm Thomas Doherty and I'm Panu Pihkala.
and welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, the show for people around the globe who are thinking deeply about the personal side of climate change, particularly their emotions and their feelings about this. And we are speaking my morning and Pa News evening here on October 1st, 2021. And Panu, and I, I'd like to get at some of the talks and things that you were you were you were doing this past week. We've got a lot of you know interesting things on our plates, but maybe I'll I'll just jump into some of the things you're up to. You've done some talks, but I know you've been writing about coronavirus and eco anxiety and getting into the emotions about these two issues and how they're similar and different. I know I have to be dragged into talking about corona just because I, my first emotions are reluctance and <laughs> frustration and fatigue but that's that's the way it goes with these emotions about these issues it's only after i get into it that i start getting more interested and inspired and curious and grateful and all this sort of stuff but tell me Pony, what you know we'll just just jump in what 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 what's one of the pieces of this corona and corona and eco anxiety work you've been up to hmm yeah, I think many people might react to climate emotions or eco-emotions the way that you just described, you know, the sense of reluctance that's, you know, it's so difficult, the whole business around the climate crisis, that do I really have to think about it or think about the feelings mm-hmm. related to that one? Mm-hmm. Probably that's not a major issue for our listeners because you have sort of chosen to, to listen to this. But Yeah, you've joined us. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, warmly, warmly welcome. We are very glad that you are, you are there. But yeah, I've been doing introductions to two books which deal with ego anxiety and so-called coronavirus anxiety. Now, this latter one has also many names. Uh, even the same applies, of course, to ego anxiety. Also, there's COVID nineteen fear, and there's COVID stress syndrome is a framework developed by mm-hmm. some other, other researchers, but all of these refer to the challenging emotions related to COVID-19. And uh, I know that both I and Thomas have had, had our share of these and many people more in each one in, in her own, her own, own way. What I'm doing in these introductions so sort of academic short articles is that I'm exploring similarities and then some differences. Mm-hmm. And when the COVID-19 pandemic started, I think a very sort of gut reaction of a lot of people was to try to apply what they know and what they can do to somehow encounter the new situation. And then there's me as an eco-anxiety researcher trying to apply that in some constructive way to the situation. And that's mm-hmm. one of the beginnings of this of this compa- comparison. And I, I sort of noticed there's a different time span, of course, in relation to the COVID-19 threat, but then there's interesting similarities in the reactions. They, ha- they are just more condensed in time, you know, when there's a growing sense of threat, but not certainty yet, people are like, hmm, mm-hmm. there's something happening in China, and yeah, let's hope that it doesn't spread here. And mm-hmm. some others are, you know, taking these signals more ser- seriously, and then others try to I- ignore them. You know, Thomas, this sort of reminds me of many reactions to the uh, ecological crisis and climate crisis when it wasn't so widely known. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one thing I found, uh, I was able to read Panu's 
chapter on this, and I, I really appreciated you. You compared some of the time the timelines of uh, people, you know, coped with COVID and nations cope with COVID, and and how um, how we have you know coped with climate change. And again, that you know we've we've been dealing with people in power have known about climate issues for you know since since you and I long you know since you and I have been alive, and you know, in longer longer still, really, since the nineteen fifties and sixties, you know. People were clued into this, you know, so-called experts, you know, advi- expert advisors to to leaders were. But yeah, you know, again, I think keeping it in real in terms of our own experience, you know, yes, there's so much for me bound up in COVID, and you know, it is it was sort of a. Um, I think there's a lot of suppression mm. of emotions that happen during a disaster, right? So we have to recognize that during a, a during an emergency or a disaster, we have to take action, and so we just suppress some emotions. And you know, so I think some, um, you know, some some vocabulary is helpful here. You know, there's there's difference between suppression and, and repression. You know, you know, suppression is when I know I'm I'm feeling something, but I have to I have to compartmentalize it in, in, in service of taking action. Um, and so, you know, first responders have to suppress, you know, their fear or disgust or, or, or various feelings they have, um, as they're going into a disaster zone and helping people. And, uh, you know, repression is when we, we forget that we're suppressing or we don't ever acknowledge in the first place, you know? And so I, I think for me, there's just a lot of suppressed emotions, uh, you know, fear about all the different things, you know, unpacking that, unpacking that, the fear of you know, our, while our work changes and fear for our families and, and this disruption to our lives. And, you know, my father died, uh, in late February of 2020, just, just on the cusp of the major COVID, you know, shutdowns here in the U S and it was actually for a while unclear whether he had had died of COVID, but we don't believe that he did, but, um, you know, we had to cancel his funeral and, you know, cancel a memorial that we planned for him. And, you know, so, you know, it, everyone has, or many people have really these personal stories. So it's easy to speculate, you know, globally, but I think, you know, the, our listeners are all having personal, personal things, you know, and that's, I think where that natural, that natural kind of reluctance and suppression is. So yeah. how do you think about working with that? You know, how do we work with that? Or how do we, how do we move in that and move through that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And there's research emerging also about bereavement mm. related to COVID-19 and how grief practices have been disrupted by lockdown measures and so on. And that's another interesting branch of research. And of course, theories of grief and sadness are so much related to climate emotions. But I do agree, Thomas, that there's been lots of suppression and um, many times it has been needed. And then there's the challenge that when finally things start to open up and there's great feelings of relief for example just this week in Finland there's been great joy because many of the lockdown measures have have been made easy, easier now the situation has has got got better so but uh, that doesn't remove all the need to face some of the emotional toll that has been gathered of course one might also speak about accumulation of stress um, that's something that I very personally felt after the first COVID-19 springtime. Uh, I, I did totally 
totally fine for two or three months, but after that I realized that hey, there's, there's a lot of stress gathering, mm-hmm. even though nobody in the near family was ill. There was some concern about some uh, some people very very near near me, and that of, of course caused st- stress based on compassion and, and so on. But for example, in summer 2020, I had to use much more embodied coping methods or practices than I usually have to do. Mm-hmm. And it, this, this is linked with a very interesting theme related to what we are talking about, which is the media stuff. We have touched upon this uh, several times mm-hmm. in our conversations, but uh, that became very evident in relation to COVID-19, the need to limit one's media exposure, because uh, one can sort of feel feel the stress levels rising when when reading about the COVID-19 in information, not to mention imagery. Yeah. Yeah. And the media piece is really, this is a good one because I, I've talked to a few people lately, some of the people I'm working with, two people said almost the same thing about, well, I, when I, when I surfaced the idea of taking break from the media and pulling back, because both of these people are really, I think, uh, having issues with excessive, excessive, you know, you know, compulsive media intake, which is contributing to their all their different challenges and you know anxieties and and complications and fatigues. Uh, but you know, they said, I don't want to bury my head in the sand. You know, I don't want to not know. And so that's something that we have to work at. And, and you know, at the, at the early stages of COVID, um, it was really fascinating and really interesting, and. It was curious to see, you know, and and we did want to track things, and I think there's a healthy there's a healthy piece there, uh, but you know, very quickly it can go over much. Even even the most healthy thing, if we overdo it, like it's it's sort of like um, exercise, you know, an exercise related injury, right? I can run and exercise, but if I overtrain, I'll break my body down, and so I think people will over mediaize and not balance out. And so I think that's the danger. You, 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 a term you shared, uh, you know, recently with me is, uh, cyberchondria, mm. right? Was it cyber? Was it cyberchondria? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the one. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we like, we like new, new word. We like words here, you know, at the, at the climate change and happiness podcast. We like, we like our words and, you know, cyberchondria is, uh, how would you define, how would you define cyberchondria? Yeah, that's not an official diagnosis, but it's been born out of real perceptions during the 2000s and 2010s that there's often uh, the tendency to seek health information online and, you know, get some some vague vague, uh, aching somewhere and then you start Googling and Mm -hmm. after two minutes you start to become convinced that this is cancer or something. So, and actually... for example, some Finnish health authorities have even issued campaigns where they say that please don't Google your symptoms, come to our websites which are reliable. So there's sort of institutional uh, work being done to counter the dangers of cyberchondria, having so so much concern about one's health. And once again, it's very natural, of course, to be concerned about one's health, but then there's the issue of how we seek information related to it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a sweet spot there. We, we do, you know, again, I think using the disaster, you know, framing, you know, during the disaster, you know, we do need to seek out information we need some intelligence about what's going on in the world and, 
Um, so we are going to be plugged in. Um, we want to be plugged into the media. But again, trying to know the difference between what what's new information and what's simply you know recycling of content and all the marketing and all the all the other stuff that goes on within the media, which is not our friend, mm-hmm. which is just designed to grab our attention and to keep us you know keep us locked into the whatever channel. And so knowing when to stop, and you know, as I tell people, just because they take a break from electronic media doesn't mean their head that is doesn't mean their head is in the sand. That's that's mm-hmm. way, way too black and white. It's not accurate at all. In fact, the experiment that I've found personally true, and I, you might listeners might try, is if I'm when you plug when you unplug from the news, you do not feel uninformed. In fact, some ways you feel more informed about the world and you're able to think about things a little more deeply and i think it allows some of the information to settle certainly we hear about things if something's important we'll hear about it so actually i I feel like you know we we become more informed about our lives when we break from the news and less distracted and less frenetic and then you know reminding people that we are the news you know we are the news we make our own news Our, our our life is the news you know, and that's where we need to be, not in, not as a consumer of other people's, you know, information. Yeah. So yeah. I do encourage people to, to, you know, just to play around with that idea. Yeah, you too. Um, hypochondria, cyberchondria, doom scrolling, right? You know, so, you mm-hmm. know, excessive rolling through um, stories. Yes. And, you know, there was a spectacle with, with, uh, with COVID. Of course, there's a lot of tragedy mm-hmm. here with, with just the as we talked about in our, in our pre-conversation, you know, the, the, um, and you get at it coming back to that timeline, you know, that at the beginning there is investigation, there's healthy, I believe you would say healthy anxiety, yeah, right? Exactly. There's a, a very useful and healthy anxiety at the very beginning of these things. Yeah. There's, um, people notice that there's a threat, uh, and which includes uncertainty. And that starts people thinking and trying to find more information so that they could better evaluate the threat and shape their responses to it. And Mm -hmm. this brings out the practical anxiety element, which happens both in relation to ecological issues, climate crisis, and it happened in relation to COVID-19. And for example, the end of February 2020 in Europe, that was an interesting time because some people started restricting their movements already and some people for example still went to holidays in northern Italy even though there was information leaking that you know there's quite a number of, of cases there and so on so that was a time when more and more people should have listened to anxiety actually but then when the threat became very clear of course there was also panic reactions lots of fear and also this suppression of alarm states so that people could function better so there's a whole range of things happening and sometimes in the media people are talking about climate anxiety or eco anxiety in an overly simplistic manner it can include all kinds of reactions but of course i want to emphasize this practical anxiety dimension and it's more like the climate skeptics who then talk of climate panic for example trying to frame this as sort of an unneeded uh, rushy panicky uh, activity which is really not the the case. Mm -hmm. What I found personally helpful was when I was reading more about our systems, both conscious and unconscious, 
and I realized that reading this COVID-19 information, even though I sort of prepared myself for that and tried to remember, for example, bodily practices like, you know, you know, keep breathing st- steady and so, so on, still it affects you sort of un- unconsciously. It goes to our alarm systems and it may trigger some things related to death anxiety or health anxiety and so on. But I think that's one further reason for this very healthy emphasis that I hear you, Thomas, putting forward that there's a need to restrict, uh, even though we prepare ourselves, there's elements which which reach us, our alarm systems. Yeah. Yeah. So how do, you know, how do on a, on a daily basis do we calibrate our alarm system? So we, you know, we need to rest it. That's, you know, that's another, that's another way to think about this with the news. You know, we need to, we, you know, we need to rest our ability, you know, to take in the news so we can kind of start to separate the, the wheat from the chaff in terms of what's actually useful information. Um, you know, we were talking about Thoreau in one of our last conversations, Henry David Thoreau, writing in the 1840s, you know, and he was saying, you know, the news, you know, I don't, I'm more concerned about what's never old, you know, not Same. what's news. But he was, they were, he was already dealing, they were dealing with just this content. Um, so yes, one of the first steps with eco-anxiety work, I think, is realizing that, you know, is identifying what healthy anxiety is and really claiming that because we're never going to not feel anxious about the world. It's part of our wiring and it's very healthy. But very quickly, in, when we get into systems and governments and things, we get into public relations and propaganda and often, you know, leaders don't want to, um, you know, their advisors will bring information to them and, you know, it's not politically expedient, you know, and so then there's this, there's the, um, the shaping and the spinning of stories and things like that. And so it's, that's, I think we've seen that with the, you know, in the U S and China in particular and in, in, during, during COVID. Um, so we, we're, we're rolling with that and we can't control all of that. So that's something that's some, somewhat out of our control. So we have to sort of learn to roll with that. Um, and then there, there's, there's grief about that. I was thinking of David Kessler's work on grief. Um, and you know, he, um, he talks about a, a river, like a, a flowing river and you know, certain griefs are more simple or more complicated, you know, and, or, and a complicated grief is like a bunch of logs and sticks that are blocking up the river. So it's really hard to feel grief for various reasons. Um, and I think, you know, for COVID, you know, there's, there's, there's different complications uh, there for people, you know, in terms of how did it affect them personally and is it about, about their political beliefs or family and things like that. So just in general, their griefs are more or less complicated. It's just something to, that's something to be aware of. Yeah, and guilt, guilt also can be hugely complicated and mm-hmm. there can be so many different kinds of guilt one can feel in relation to COVID-19, for example, that... Um, should I have should I have been more careful type, type of thing and and also sorts of ranging into existential feelings of guilt and that of course mutatu mutanti changing the things that are needed to change that applies also to eco anxiety and climate anxiety so there's numerous things that one can feel guilt or even shame about and some of them can lead to positive behavior changes, but of course we have to face it, the issue that there's no point in feeling uh, totally overburdened by guilt and shame for a longer time. That's not, not going to help anyone, not, not the planet or you or those ones living close to, close to you. Yeah, and I think, you know, in terms of how we can cope, 
you know, as a, as the listeners, as, as you're listening, you know, I think it's, you know, if you can kind of get in your body a little bit, you know, kind of feel like take a breath and be in your body and, you know, breathe into your belly or breathe into your heart. You know, there's, there's, there's scales that we exist in, in the world. So we have our personal family scale and then our community scale and our, you know, the world scale. And because of communication technology, we are able to, you know, kind of toggle between this real personal level scale and these world scale in terms of problems, in terms of issues, in terms of our information, what we know, and it can be really jarring. And so, you know, learning, learning to just know what's where you, where are you in terms of the scales, you know, what scale are you working on here? I mean, I think in being able to, to know, know that is a really helpful skill. Um, otherwise people are really pulled in a lot of directions. Um, and again, if we don't have that personal level grounding, we have no base to take on these larger pieces. And so I know, you know, for me, I talk about my, my father's death and that's where I will first go around COVID. Cause that, that was, um, you know, one of the ways that it personally affected me and my family. Um, and, you know, of course we think about the politics and, the, and all this other stuff. Um, and you, and you, Panu, I think you, you want to talk about how COVID affected you and your family as well? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, well, very, very recently, of course, we had to stay home because we actually got it now after one and a half years of managing to miss, mm -hmm. miss it. But luckily the symptoms were very mild and us adults had two vaccinations. So, and we, we practiced caution. So for example, so in this period when we had it, but didn't know it, we didn't pass it on to anyone because we were using masks and so, so on. So, so that was a recent, recent phase, but of course it's been a long time, one and a half, half years. And this actually links to an event that I was speaking at this morning in Finland, which was about children and the future, organized mm. by an organization called MLL, Mannerheim in Lastensuojeluliitto, for those of you who know, know Finnish. It's an old and respectable organization taking care of children's wel welfare. Mm -hmm. And there was, of course, talk about how the COVID-19 time had affected children and of the very different uh, con conditions that the children were, were facing, to, you know, some uh, didn't receive care or actually uh, were victims of home violence, for example. But then others, they had more time with their parents than they have had for years. So it's an ambiguous mix. So in a sort of paradoxical way, sometimes it also brought happiness. And perhaps this links, uh, links with the theme of our podcast also that there may, may be surprising dimensions of happiness happening amidst these very complex and problematic times. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great, uh, bringing us back to our mission here, you know, climate change and happiness. What does it mean to be happy during these times when we have these, you know, what they call what does a macro worries, you know, with these world level worries, these eco anxieties, um, how do we then, you know, carve out time for, um, trying to figure out what it means to be happy or what might it be to be happy during these times and with our families. So again, that's another reason to sort of pull ourselves away from the media and look at ourselves, look at our lives, you know, again, emotionally, as I said earlier with COVID, you know, I, I, I do know how to regulate my emotions and I 
work on this. And so I, I, I am able to, you know, surf this stuff. So it's sort of like, yes, dread and frustration and a sense of tragedy and just disgust at how COVID, um, you know, was, was, was handled and a lot of the, you know, the political, mm -hmm. political dysfunction and corruption here in the United States. And, um, you know, but then I, I flip over to gratitude, you know, impressed. I mean, I'm so impressed with all the people that have worked so hard. I mean, I have a number of my, I know people, my friends and, you know, my, my clients are medical people and medical doctors and nurses and, and just the incredible, spectacular, heroic work of people mm. all around the world, you know, in terms of COVID and, and helping other people. Uh, and, and even the scientific, you know, the, the speed of the scientific, you know, work and the rolling out of vaccines, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, again, it's not all perfect and I don't want to be a, you know, just a booster or Pollyanna about this, but there are some really, truly positive emotions here. People coming together, people being creative, people trying to adapt. It's amazing. It's amazing how people have been able to adapt. Entertainers and various people trying to reach out. You know, so there's there's a, there's a whole realm of emotions, and then I think there is just that fatigue because we're not through it yet. It's still unclear. So there's a long, I think that that fatigue piece comes up for people. Yeah, a sort of chronic, chronic stressor element is present in both in relation to the climate crisis and still with the COVID-19 and very much resonate with what you said there, Thomas, and the amount of compassion and empathy. One might even speak of, you know, love in action. There's been lots yes. of, lots of self, selfishness happening. And of course, we all know that that's not the whole, whole, whole picture. And it's very tragic, for example, among the nations, how the, how the vaccines haven't been spread equally and so on. But still, on the, on the lo local level, the, there's been lots of, you know, things that's lift up one's be belief about the good sides of human na nature also. Yeah, I love that idea of love in action. That's a great kind of moving toward the end of our our conversation today, but that's a great place to be right now in this conversation. Love in action. Think of all the all the things that would fit under that heading over the last n number of years, you know, all the parents that have been home with their children and, you know, all the healthcare providers and um, you know, yes, a lot it brought out, you know, like a lot of things is the best and the worst of times, you know, in Dickens language, you know, but it, COVID is, you know, it's, it's legitimate to say that, that, you know, the COVID-19 crisis has brought out much good in people and much love and action. And we need to, and we need to honor that. It's not fair mm -hmm. if we don't talk about that. So I think, you know, listeners can maybe take a breath and, you know, let go uh, a little bit of, the COVID stuff that we've been coping with and just, you know, set that burden down because it is, we have moved through it and, you know, really spend some time, you know, sitting with that idea of love and action and, and how we, we've all embodied that in our own ways. I think that's really, that's a neat way to think about, you know, our feelings uh, and, you know, that we can kind of like have multiple feelings, obviously, and we can shine our light on one feeling or another. Um, the story is not over yet and we can, certainly talk about much more with this i mean i feel i feel pretty good that we've been able to even step into this topic uh, but love and action i really like that and um tell me uh, as we conclude here what 
what else you have going on here in terms of your talks and activities? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of flo- floating with this with this emotional la- landsp- landscape of love in action. So thanks for mm-hmm. thanks for spending time time here and I really think that's that's the basis also for grief and even for guilt you know that those arise because we care yeah and then one might go into more metaphysical speculations about what's the ultimate caring thing and, and so on but let's not venture venture there, there now this week there's been an interesting webinar between Finland and Sweden, I know that from the point of view of most of the world, it might seem that it's it's like two districts of the same same city, but uh, we have a long history in this corner of Europe where these are different countries. But we were talking about ecological emotions, both in Sweden and Finland, and how they are talked about. There's differences in language, for for example. So, so that was a very interesting thing happening on 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 Wednesday, and also opportunities to meet many people who are working with the with the subject. So, so that was uplifting. But how's it been for you, you Thomas, this this week? A lot going on, Panu. I have my group uh, for for mental health professionals, uh, climate conscious groups, uh, starting next week. So I'm preparing for that. I have a have a, a proof of this cl- chapter on climate change and clinical psychology that I was working on uh, I'm, re- I'm reviewing a paper on um, support groups around climate change for for students for college students and that's a po- that's actually a positive interesting paper and so yes it's it's a mixed bag I'm also working with with people and clients that are that are struggling with you know this amassed fatigue of COVID and climate and things like that but uh yeah, I am. I am being inspired by the things that I'm f- seeing and finding, uh, and um, so it's again, it's toggling between um, you know my home territory and having the news that's just in my day and in my family and in my neighborhood and on my street, um, and then these these larger these larger pieces. And uh, I'm looking forward to get into with a group of mental health professionals and talk about this sort of stuff. So that's going to be a nice a nice series coming up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So let's keep up our good work. You keep up your good work, I will. And then our listeners, you all keep up all your good work and love in action. You know, those are some lenses to put on and, and look, at, look at the world through <laughs> today. Um, and uh, this is Climate Change and Happiness, climatechangeandhappiness.com. Send us thoughts and uh, messages and ideas and we'll keep talking about this. Yes, we end with these Beatles-like to- tones. Thanks everyone for listening. Looking forward to talking more with you, Thomas. Have a great evening, Panu. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.